0: I'm Dustin Kirkland and you're listening to the Change Log.
1: Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stakoviak. This is episode 207. And today, Jared and I are talking to Dustin Kirkland about the rise of Ubuntu. Ubuntu everywhere. We talked about Canonical and Microsoft's collaboration to get Bash on Windows. We also talked deeply about the history of this project, where Ubuntu is going, Canonical, the company behind it, and what we can expect from the future of this Linux distro. We have three sponsors for the show today, Linode, Rollbar, and BlinkSale. Our first sponsor of the show today is Linode, our cloud server of choice. Get up and running in seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources and node location, SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors. Use the promo code CHANGELOG20 for a $20 credit, two months free. One of the fastest, most efficient SSD cloud servers is what we're building our new CMS on. We love Linode, we think you'll love them too. Again, use the code CHANGELOG20 for $20 credit head to slash change law to get started. And now on to the show. All right, we're back, everybody. We got a fun show lineup today. And Jared, how exciting is it to have Bash on Windows? That's, what's, that's what teed this up. Not just Bash, as I'm sure that we will learn uh, the details of here soon,
2: but yeah, absolutely. Big announcement out of the Build Conference back in March that canonical and microsoft have partnered in some way to bring the bash
1: shell along with other things natively on windows wow not inside of a vm or anything like that it's it's more than that too we got dustin kirkland here from canonical who's he's got quite a resume too created the service command and ton of other stuff yeah thanks for coming on the show dustin
0: hey guys yeah absolutely adam Jarrett, good good to speak with
1: you so what's the the news behind this uh What's the quick details? Not the deep details. We're going to go into that later. But what's the quick details on Bash on Windows? The quick
0: details is that if you're running Windows 10 today and you're in the, in the preview mode, you can very simply uh, type Bash and launch a shell where you're running Bash natively inside of Windows. And the user space utilities are provided entirely from our distribution uh, Ubuntu. And that's that's pretty cool. This It's in preview mode right now, um, but Microsoft will release this generally to Windows 10 sometime, sometime later this year, I think.
2: We definitely are interested in not just how that works, but also how this collaboration came together between uh, the two corporations. But before we get to all that, Dustin, let's learn a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are here at Canonical. So um, give us a, a quick background, maybe even how you got introduced to programming and computers. And then the summary of how you ended up working for Canonical.
0: Uh, All right. Yeah. Um, Well, programming goes way back. I I was programming in in high school. Actually, I started working on, I started playing MUDs, if you remember MUDs in the multi-user dimensions in the the 1990s. And I got pretty bored playing MUDs and started actually writing writing some of the code behind some of the MUDs. I was in about 1994, 95. I was 14, 15 years old at the time in in high school. Um, I went to college and got a degree in computer engineering, Texas A&M University. Uh, And then out of college, um, got a job with Tivoli in Austin, Texas, and then spent about eight years with IBM. Um, And then in, in 2008, I left IBM and joined Canonical on the server team. So at the time, Canonical was building Ubuntu, and Ubuntu was fairly well-known at that point as an up-and-coming desktop distribution, but there really was no focus or no, um, no technology behind Ubuntu as a server platform. So I joined a team of about three at the time, and our, our initial goal was really to get Ubuntu server into Amazon, um, into AWS, and in, into its cloud. And we did that in about 2008. And that really changed the trajectory of Ubuntu as a server platform. Ubuntu is now um, about 70% of all instances running in, in Amazon, in, uh, in Linux in, in instances, in Microsoft Azure. We'll talk about Microsoft in a few minutes. Um, Google yeah. Compute across the board. Ubuntu is overwhelmingly deployed as a server platform in public clouds.
2: That's an interesting uh, background with regard to the, the switch between desktop and server or the focus on server. Just to give you a bit of a context of Ubuntu around the changelog, I actually ran Ubuntu, I guess it was back. I was looking at your guys' release schedule. The first release was 2004, and I must have hopped on right. right after that because I had uh, Ubuntu on my laptop in college in about 2005, 2004, 2006. I graduated in 'oh six, so somewhere around there. Ran it for a couple yeah. years on my laptop. Always ran Debian on my servers. Um, right. and ran Ubuntu on my laptop, and then Adam has ubuntu running on the changelog server so he's always used it as a as a server distribution more recently
0: I love it That's great. So changelog servers are are running ubuntu. That's Yeah, that's 14.04. An awesome...
1: We have not upgraded 14. yet. 14. Yeah. Um
0: yeah, so about that time that 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 the the timing lines up pretty much exactly right. We were very much a desktop focused distribution um starting in with the first release 4.10, Warty Warthog in uh, mm-hmm. October of 2004. Um, and then server really emerged for us right around 2008, uh, which would have been the 804 release, Hardy, uh, 804 Hardy Heron would have been the first, I guess, real server focused release. Um, and you know we really haven't looked back. It's been incredible to see Ubuntu adoption at tremendous scale, especially by the sort of new wave of technology um, focused companies, things like uh, Netflix, Uber, Lyft, uh, Tesla. All of these are platforms or all of these are companies that have built entirely on on Ubuntu.
2: One of the things Ubuntu is known for, aside from it, or in addition to its, you know, orange, uh, interesting orange color of branding is is your guys' naming convention. And it follows this alphabetical, uh, not acronym, alliteration with animal names. Um, But I I assumed it would have started at A, but it looks like back when, you know, 410 was out, warty warthog. (laughs) and then you went to h horry hedgehog and then to breezy badger and it seemed like maybe the al- the alphabet didn't quite kick in until uh, the- you guys had your uh, feet under you or how did that all work out
0: that's pretty much it yeah the, the first release was Warty warthog uh second release was horry hedgehog third release was breezy badger and then it wasn't until the fourth release dafford drake that i think we sort of realized that we need to actually have some um uh some method to this madness and especially for uh, listing files and directories where the directories are uh, uh, dapper, edgy, feisty, gutsy. It started to make sense when those were, um, mm-hmm. were, were alphabetical. So yeah, you're exactly right. So our release cadence is always every six months. We always release in April and October. Um, we're now working on the Y release of Ubuntu, which is Yakety Yak. Uh, it will release in October of 2016, which will make it the 16.10 release. So the two numbers in an Ubuntu release are the, the first number is the year, and the second number is the month. Um, and yeah, we've, we're working on our 25th release of Ubuntu, and we've released every single one of them uh, on time, every time. Wow.
2: How do you get that done?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a discipline that we call time-based releases. We, we sort of borrowed and adapted it from GNOME, GNOME being one of the, one of the main desktop managers that Ubuntu's built on. Um, GNOME started this time-based release cycle just before we did in, in 2004. And we sort of took that to the next level and applied it across an entire distribution. The real discipline is that we set, we set forth the dates upfront, and then we engineer a series of milestones. We always have three alphas, two betas, one release candidate, and then a release. Um, and it's, it's real important that we identify in those three alphas, the features that we're going to develop Uh, And then we institute a feature freeze, which can be broken, but it's a very exceptional process to to break feature freeze. Uh, And then we go into the stabilization period, the two betas, followed by the release candidate. Now, anything that didn't make it into the release or it's not yet baked or cooked, uh, we tend to move it out of scope. So rather than if something has to give uh, the scope, the feature list is what gives the date never, ever gives.
1: Googling time-based release is your number one, so that's a good thing, right? You got that down. Right. So I guess, was it you that started it? Is this a thing you began, or is this something that you adopted from somebody else's practice? You're like, well, that's, that's actually cool. That's, that's a good way to do it.
0: Probably need to give a good bit of credit to the GNOME project, uh, which is the, the desktop manager in Ubuntu. Um, mm-hmm. But as I said, we've certainly taken it, adapted it, um, and broadened it to the entire suite of 20,000 open source packages that we snapshot and release every month, or sorry, every six months in, in Ubuntu. Um, also, about that time, we were coming out of, we we're built off of Debian. You know, a lot of credit goes to Debian. We use Debian as an upstream for most of our, our packages. Um, but Debian mm-hmm. takes a very different approach. Debian releases when ready is the, is the, is the mantra at Debian. Um, and that certainly has the ability to produce high-quality software, um, but the release cycle is extremely unpredictable. And in fact, when Mark uh, Shuttleworth founded Ubuntu in 2004, uh, Debian was in a bit of turmoil. It had been uh, several years between Debian releases, or a very long time between Debian releases. And so, you know, we, our releases are, are, aren't perfect, but they're very predictable. Um, and we do as, as much as we can to get the most features as possible in a high-quality release of Ubuntu. And anything that doesn't make it, you're never more than six months away from the next release of Ubuntu.
1: So who's behind all this? Who's the we you keep speaking of? Who's the we?
0: So Canonical uh, is the company behind Ubuntu. Ubuntu is the operating system, the Linux distribution. Canonical is the company behind Ubuntu. Canonical is um, it's 12 years old. It was founded at the same time as Ubuntu. Um, it's, today, we're about 750 people in 45 countries. Uh, most of us work from home. I work from a home office in Austin, Texas, uh, we do have a headquarters in London and a couple of satellite offices, uh, Taipei, um, uh, Boston, uh, Montreal. Um, but for the most part, about 80% of Canonical works from home We're hiring, by the way, if you're interested in, uh, in, in really awesome industry-leading technical work, either on the, the client and desktop side or the server and cloud side. Uh, certainly check out Canonical Jobs. Uh, and uh, send me a message. I'm on uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn and so forth. I'm sure we can get those contact
1: details. You got a lot of them there. I, it's kind of interesting. You call them vacancies too, versus <laughs> jobs. I guess you kind of use both nomenclature, but you call uh, them vacancies.
0: Yeah. Interesting. That may be. Uh, that may be a bit of our British heritage. We have certain <laughs> words that are kind of fun in our world that differ from uh, either the Texas or the California, where a lot of technology comes out of. Um, I should also mention Mark Shuttleworth, who's the founder of Canonical. So he's the the founder and owner of Canonical. Um, today he's the he's the VP of Product and Strategy. He's he's my boss. I report uh, directly to Mark. Um, we have a an executive structure that includes a a CEO, Jane Silver, and a um, a, a sort of an executive VP of the cloud business, uh, Anand Krishnan. Um, and Mark, for the most part, has leaves that that sort of administrative side of running a company, uh, and focuses on his passion, which is really, uh, the product and the strategy. And he's extremely involved. He's involved in every single day, uh, seven days a week with all things, uh, to very active on the mailing list wow. and accessible, very accessible.
2: That's very cool. I think, I think this change, so you guys had this shift, you were, you are known for desktop and you, you started with a Debian base and you put polish and, and improvements upon that. And then. Uh, over time, I think there used to be two releases. There was even like a desktop release and a server release. Correct me if I'm wrong there. And is that, well, let's just stop there. Are there two releases still? Or am I imagining?
0: Yeah. No, we still do roll a number of different flavors. We call them flavors of Ubuntu. The server release of mm-hmm. Ubuntu is what we publish to the clouds. I assume that's what your, your changelog.com uh-huh. is on server Ubuntu. Uh, the server Ubuntu is a, a, it's a pretty trim. It's pretty lean and mean fast. Um, small, secure Linux distribution. It doesn't include things like a graphical display manager. Why? Because you know, typically in the cloud, you're going to do everything over SSH anyway. Let's let's carve mm-hmm. out X Windows and you know reduce the, the security surface um, and uh, how much how much data needs to be stored and updated. The desktop sure. release of Ubuntu is separate. Yes, you're right. Um, and there are a couple of different flavors. There's Ubuntu with Gnome and Unity as its, as its desktop. That's what I'm running here today. Um, there's also KDE Ubuntu. There's uh, XFCE, which is a, a, a nub, yet another um, sort of desktop manager. Uh, but we also produce Ubuntu for phones and tablets, uh, which is really interesting. We've got uh, Ubuntu shipping on three different phone platforms from, um, from Meizu, uh, which is a Chinese phone manufacturer and BQ, which is a, a European phone manufacturer. Um, and you can take Ubuntu and actually put it on any of the Nexus line of tablets. So I've got a, a Nexus 7 uh, and a Nexus 4 uh, phone here, both running uh, Ubuntu as well. Um, now what's interesting about that is that we had to adapt a lot of, a lot of what we, we love about Ubuntu is still certainly present on the phone and on the tablet. But the way that we deliver the operating system, especially how we update and upgrade it um, and ensure that rollbacks can happen safely, uh, as well as how we add extra software, all of that we had to rethink completely when we started putting Ubuntu on uh, on phones and, and tablets. And in doing so, we actually came up with something pretty cool, uh, and that's a, yet another flavor of Ubuntu that we call uh, Ubuntu Core. Um, sometimes you'll hear it, referred to by its code name, Snappy, Uh, Snappy Ubuntu Core. Snappy is Ubuntu designed for IoT devices. So that's really cool because now we're seeing Ubuntu today running on developer boards like the Raspberry Pi, for instance. Um, But those developer boards and Snappy Ubuntu are now shipping in refrigerators from GE, in drones, in robots, in printers, network switches, all sorts of super interesting iot hardware Uh, we're seeing ubuntu in that and the the cool thing is that it's a a really interesting um sweet spot somewhere in between a desktop tablet phone consumer style device but it's a whole lot like a server because many of these you know a a drone or a a robot doesn't have a keyboard video keyboard video mouse um, traditionally but it does have an ssh shell for instance.
2: I love this new focus, or maybe it's, uh, maybe you could say it's a lack of focus, but this desire, this vision to bring Ubuntu to all these different places beyond the desktop, now even beyond the server, too. Uh, you've, you've reached the cloud, you're, you're looking at IoT, or you have IoT deployments or distribution, or flavor, I guess is the term that you use. And then the, the news that we're here to speak about in some detail was the, the conversation or the announcement with Windows and Microsoft that came back at the end of March. Um, in fact, we know that our audience is interested in this particular topic because we linked out to that in Weekly Number 99, which was when was that? April 2nd, that one shipped out, and um, I'm pretty sure that Microsoft had their own announcement, and maybe Canonical had an announcement as well. But Dustin, we linked to your blog post announcing the the Bash on Windows, and it was the number two top story of that week. And I'll tell you why it wasn't number one, and that's because Adam included. A rant from Giles Boquette <laughs> titled "Why Scrum Should Basically Just Die in a Fire," and you can't <laughs> not click on that headline. Everyone's gonna click on that one, right?
0: Yeah, I would so, click on that one as well.
2: <laughs> and you know, Giles is always—he's very reliable for a, a solid and entertaining rant. So that was our number one story of the week. Um, but this was our number two story, and one that. We had lots of conversation going on around Twitter and lots of reaction, too. So we want to look at that in a little bit more detail. We are hitting up against our first break. So let's pause now and we'll talk about Bash on
1: Windows when we come back. One of the most frustrating things about being a software developer is dealing with errors, dealing with bugs. They happen and relying on your users to report your errors sucks. Digging through log files, trying to debug issues is not cool. Or having a million alerts flood your inbox every single day it's it's the worst. With Rollbar's full-stack error monitoring you get the context the insights and the control you need to find and fix bugs faster with a lot less noise. It's easy to install you start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. Rollbar works with all major languages and frameworks including Ruby, Python, JavaScript, PHP, Node.js, iOS, Android, and more. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, send error alerts to Slack or HipChat, or automatically create new issues in GitHub, Jira, Asana, Pivotal Tracker. And we have a special offer for changelog listeners. Go to rollbar.com changelog, sign up, get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. That's basically 300,000 errors tracked totally free. Give Rollbar a try today. Head over to rollbar.com slash changelog. All right, we are back
2: with Dustin Kirkland talking about Ubuntu and the proliferation of the distribution everywhere, or at least the goal to, specifically in this case, the proliferation of Ubuntu onto Windows. And Dustin, we're quite interested not just how this works, but also how it came to be. So this is a partnership between Microsoft and Canonical, and as much as you're able to. Can you give us the insider scoop, the backstory of how, you know, this partnership came to be?
0: Yeah, you bet. You know, it's, it's funny sometimes in life how things never happen the way you plan them out to happen, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, uh, meeting, meeting a, a wife or a spouse or having kids or where you end up in a career or, uh, you know, set out on, a, on an adventure and a vacation and where you end up. Um the the real irony here is that Canonical was founded and Ubuntu was founded with with a single goal in mind which was to basically be the desktop that replaces Windows. In fact, yes. um one of the one of the tools that Canonical created in in support of creating Ubuntu is Launchpad. Launchpad.net was sort of GitHub before GitHub. It was based around Bazaar, another uh source code tracker, but it was the home for open source projects it was exactly how we build it is the build system for ubuntu but it's also our bug tracker and if you go to launchpad.net bugs.launchpad.net/1 the number 1 bug the first bug filed in launchpad was uh basically that that microsoft uh windows is the is is the only desktop that someone can can really use today and we're 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 creating a a vision to change that right and so it's 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 really funny, ironic, unexpected. Somehow that here we're talking about Ubuntu on Windows, and it's a it's mm-hmm. a good thing. And let me let me explain to you why I think that's a a good thing. But does that actually resonate? Do you see? Have you been in that situation where a, a something happened, but man, it's so far away from what you might have expected, and it's a it's a pleasant surprise.
2: Yes, and I can say, I, speaking to your situation, I was pleasantly surprised, and I think uh many people were because i was very much you know 2004 2005 i was running ubuntu on my laptop because i didn't want to use windows on my laptop so i was there i was ready for the year of linux on the desktop uh with, you know as you guys were trying <laughs> to build it and so uh quite ironic and interesting it's like the odd couple microsoft and canonical coming together for a collaboration it's just it's 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 not bittersweet. It's just
1: sweet, but it's just so interesting that this is what has happened. Microsoft has changed so much, though, over the last several years. Like we've seen a new Microsoft in open source. We've seen a new Microsoft when it approaches products. I mean, is mm-hmm. that part of it, Dustin? Do you do you attribute some of their change to open source in that?
0: Yeah, so that's exactly where I was going with this. Is that uh, you know a lot's changed in the last twelve years? Um, Canonical, we found this this huge focus and success. On Ubuntu as a server platform, we haven't abandoned the desktop. our desktop is now better than ever, and we're bringing it to to mobile devices. but this the cloud didn't exist in in that name anyway in two thousand four. Um, and Ubuntu server uh, didn't I didn't either. Uh, Microsoft was was led by uh, Steve Ballmer at the time, and the, the 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 thought of Microsoft doing anything with open source. Um, was just, it, it was unthinkable, right? I mean, he called Linux a cancer and uh, had essentially banned uh, any Microsoft team from working with, with open source. But, you know, there's there's been a regime change at Microsoft. Um, Satya has led a real revolution at Microsoft in the adoption of open source. Over the last several years, Canonical and Microsoft have worked together, most notably on Azure, Azure being uh, Microsoft's cloud, um, it's sort of in the, the the big three clouds of Amazon AWS, Google Compute Engine, and uh, Microsoft Azure. And Azure, uh, Microsoft through Azure, has been a tremendous partner of Canonicals, and we've helped deliver um, the best Linux experience inside of Microsoft Azure. The vast majority of of instances running in Azure that are not uh, that are not Windows instances, like 80% of the Linux instances are our, our Ubuntu and you know we've worked very successfully with that Azure team in, in doing so and that really fostered an interesting set of business relations as well as and this is extremely important as well as. Technical developer relations with with Microsoft now over the last couple of years I've gotten to know a number of uh, developers at Microsoft, especially their uh, the Windows kernel team and the, the Azure team. And, you know, these guys are a lot like me, you know, went to college five, 10, 15 years ago, um, and universally their college experience was much like yours, you know, running a Linux desktop, or certainly mm-hmm. running uh, Linux on servers. The, the newer kids are running it on uh, Raspberry Pis or in a, in a, in a, in a data center on, on campus, you know? And that was absolutely my experience. I was at Texas A&M from 97 to 2001, that was when I, I really went all in on Linux, uh, used it across the board, stood up web servers and on linux, used it on a on a desktop, uh, and then sort of made the move wholesale in about two thousand. Um, Microsoft totally has taken note of that 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 the developer environment while um, while it may it, it certainly used to be a, a very closely tied to Windows desktop, has moved away from it and to neither Canonical nor Microsoft's benefit, a lot of that desktop environment has actually moved toward Macs, right? Um, you know, I think you can walk into a, a coffee shop almost anywhere, uh, certainly in, in Austin or San Francisco, where I spend most of my time. And in that coffee shop, there is a developer with a Mac uh, writing some code. And that code is almost always inside of a, uh, a virtual machine a, a vagrant or a virtual box. Uh, a shell essentially where they're running Ubuntu and uh, Microsoft actually commissioned a a study to sort of understand what kids in college are using as their developer environment and one thread that was constant across that entire uh, study was that regardless of whether someone was running Windows or Mac or Ubuntu on their desktop, they were almost certainly doing their development in a Linux shell. And the vast majority of those Linux shells were Ubuntu Linux shells. Um, so it's something that I think we've all seen. And whether or not Forbes or Wall Street Journal or anyone has taken note of that, uh, you could talk to almost any developer in the in the Valley or anywhere across the world, in fact. And I don't think any of them would be very surprised by that story. You know, most most web development today being done in a in a Linux shell uh, isn't exactly a, a headline that. Uh, you guys are in the media business, that's, that's probably not going to grab a whole lot of clicks,
1: right? It's kind of par for the course.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I think we, we took that for granted in the, in the years that we developed and worked on Ubuntu, and we thought we were going to take over the world's, or we hoped we were going to take over the world's desktop. Uh, and while we did not do that, we objectively did not do that, there's certainly more Windows and Mac desktops out there in the world than Ubuntu desktops. Uh, We've done something pretty incredible in bringing Ubuntu and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about the the greater open source ecosystem in a second. We've done something pretty incredible by making Ubuntu available across that entire hardware spectrum from the Raspberry Pi uh, to laptops, desktops, tablets, phones, physical servers, your your commodity x86 servers into IBM's uh, sort of deep thinking power machines that run uh, Watson. To some of IBM's biggest uh, mainframes, the Z Series mainframe, and then into supercomputers and high performance computing, across the board, you can find Ubuntu running on all of those. And while, while there are uh, you know, relatively, relative to the 7 billion people in the wor- world, relatively few of those 7 billion people are running Ubuntu on their desktop, I'd venture that over half of the world's population is touching a server running Ubuntu right now. Wow. Um, That being Netflix, Wikipedia. um, I mentioned Uber, Lyft, Tesla, Instagram, Snapchat. All of these are services running on Ubuntu servers. And, you know, Ubuntu isn't up front and in the the spotlight there, but it is critical to the operations behind um, this podcast, for instance.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it totally is. I know that the CDNs, we probably have the the MP3s being distributed through, you know, run Ubuntu or Linux for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I always knew. So I've always just put Debian on my servers just out of habit almost more than anything else just through the years. Because maybe even back when I started with Ubuntu, it didn't have a server edition. Um, But I've always just thought Linux powers the web. But I've never really thought about it as that's like, do you know what percentage of that is Ubuntu? Is Has Ubuntu gotten so big that it's you know in the 80, 90% of Linux distros that are running web servers out there, or is that just uh, conjecture?
0: Right, so right now, this is uh, public data from W3 Tech. I'm going to pull this up so that I uh, quote the number right. But just in the past month, um, Ubuntu has surpassed all distributions for... Um, for the plurality, more web servers are running Ubuntu uh, than any other any any other Linux. Uh, we've been running neck and neck with Debian for for many years. And by the way, we love Debian. Many Ubuntu developers are also Debian developers, and vice versa. Canonical employs a um, hundred plus De- Debian developers uh, who work on both Debian and Ubuntu. Uh, it's a very it's a very close um, it, it's it's a it's a very close relationship. So. We certainly don't pit Ubuntu against Debian. There's quite a lot of collaboration, and we want to see that collaboration continue. Um, but right now, w3techs.com has been tracking uh, web servers. Basically, they just sniff the web. They ping the ping mm-hmm. a web server with a couple of couple of queries, and then I- inspect the response and try to guess what web server it's running. Uh, Ubuntu is now running 32 and a half percent of the web as of May 25th 2016 which is which is today um huh. debian comes in a a close second um followed by centos at a distant third um but uh yeah we're quite proud of that in fact if you look at the trend line it's uh it's it's looking very strong for ubuntu and almost everything else is in decline at this point so i think you're your 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 premise here is is on and it's certainly that Ubuntu mm-hmm. is, is definitely winning the, the, the web.
1: Why do you think it is? What what makes someone choose one distro over another? Is it in Jared's case where it's maybe habit or comfortability well, yeah, or yeah. whatever. Why do people choose a certain distro?
0: So with Ubuntu I think it starts with what we opened the podcast with, which was the stability the cadence, the- I would say cadence plus the velocity, the stability and the quality of the three things. The first one, the cadence that we release Ubuntu every six months gives the developers really fresh libraries, compilers, all of your dependencies are, are certainly baked in um, to Ubuntu and, and available. apt install almost anything you could possibly want and it's already there. Maybe it'll be there in CentOS, maybe it'll be there uh, in, in another distro, but it's almost certainly already there in Ubuntu. Um, the second one is quality. We, we put a lot of effort into ensuring uh, quality and that the quality of Ubuntu is on a trend line that's moving up and to the right at all times that we're always getting better than the last release. Um, and, uh, and you know I, I think it's I think choice it's the fact that we've, we've given you basically the entire open source world is, is at your disposal. So let me bring that back to the question about uh, Windows, so Ubuntu mm-hmm. on Windows. And bash and Windows, so you know we set out to 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 dominate the to win the desktop, and uh, while we didn't do that, we put Ubuntu on hundreds of millions of of servers and server in- instances, possibly even close to a billion um, and yet we've still managed to find new and interesting places to bring ubuntu so I was in um I was in. I guess it doesn't really matter. It just happens that I recall exactly where I was when I received the phone call from my colleagues at Microsoft saying, "Hey, we've got something we want to want to show you." I was in Heathrow Airport, uh, trying desperately to get on Wi-Fi so that I could I could stream the um, stream the, the 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 desktop share uh, over Skype and see the demo of what the team at Microsoft had been working on. And uh, essentially, it's the it, was the te- it is the technology underneath the bash on Windows, deep into Windows. It's something called the Windows Subsystem for Linux, WSL. Uh, the Windows Subsystem for Linux is a layer that runs um, basically in or just on top of the Windows kernel um, that's able to run native Linux binaries. Uh, native Linux binaries, ELF binaries compiled running on Linux, uh, eventually call out to the Linux kernel uh, for system calls, things like open, close, um, malloc—you know—it's it, the—it's the the fundamental uh, technology, the fundamental interface between the kernel and and user space. And so the the Windows team created this layer that was able to intercept Linux system calls and translate them to Windows system calls, uh, which is really cool. Um, that's not virtualization. Virtualization is presenting a whole fake, uh, fake hardware emulator basically and an emulator is also similar similar to virtualization in that it, it's really emulating an underlying system and And both of those while they've gotten faster are still inherently slow um what this syscall translation is doing is extremely fast and it feels very 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 native um and that's it so the the team brought to canonical this uh, technology that they developed and they'd identified ubuntu as being the the user space that would be most attractive to to most Windows users, and um, basically invited us to collaborate with them on this. And so um, we started working on that. I I, I kind of led the effort from the canonical point of view, um, and we we're essentially delivering the exact same byte for byte, package for package. Um, user space, user mode, uh, user mode is what when the, the Microsoft guys call it. Maybe that's a Microsoft term. Um, I would call it the basically the, the root file system, the same root file system that we, we test and publish to all of the public clouds for an Ubuntu server, that command line environment that you're familiar with if you use Ubuntu in the cloud. We make that same root file system available in the Windows Store, and it's downloaded just as part of running the the Bash command essentially. So you run Bash uh, the first time; it downloads that that small Ubuntu image, uh, loads that up, and then at that point you're sitting in a in a in a Bash shell. And almost anything that you would do on a Linux Ubuntu Linux shell should work inside of there, with a couple of caveats. And the, the Microsoft team are working to close those gaps as quickly as possible. And then to the to to your point at the very top of the show. It's more than just Bash, and that's the beauty of it. You know, it's, 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 um, uh, it, it is Bash. It, that's the way you start running uh, the, the technology. But Bash is really, you know, LS and find and grep, mm-hmm. and that's kind, of, that's, that's kind of the end of the shell. Actually, we ship apt. apt is the source, the, the, package, um, the package interface, how you install additional packages onto Ubuntu, mm-hmm. how you have access to... 50,000 plus binary packages freely available on Ubuntu. So you can apt install almost anything. And I say almost, we're really not focused on graphical apps right now. This is really just uh, command line apps. But still, there's tens of thousands of command line apps that are at your fingertips through Ubuntu's archives, through the Ubuntu repositories. And that's why it's so much more than just Bash. It's, it's, It's GCC and Golang and Ruby and Python and Perl. Um, And PHP and everything that you would normally do on an Ubuntu system is now right there inside of a Windows shell.
2: That's awesome. So let's get this uh, personal for a second because you have your own uh, little—I guess that's—that could be condescending to call it little. You have your own open source project uh, called—and help me out here—biobu. Is that how you pronounce it?
0: Uh, Yeah, biobu.
2: Biobu, which is a text-based window manager and terminal multiplexer. So. This is something you've been working on over the years and is this something that you can get up and running inside of windows
0: wow so they're they're working hard on the underlying system call that it depends on it needs to be able to allocate a a, a, a tty basically um, mm. it's just part of the underlying terminal technology um, but it's it's one of the top bugs top priority bugs that the kernel team is working on right now so it doesn't yet work, but it is absolutely uh, on the roadmap and certainly planned. It's one of the most asked-for uh, features uh, missing right now. So yeah, Biobo is a it's a it's a passion of mine. I'm I'm surprised and delighted that you asked about it. Actually, it's kind of a part-time project. You know, it's it's certainly not part of my uh, my day job. Um, and for the most part, it's implemented technology. It's really just sort of bug fixes I work on now, um, but. Biobu, it started out as a better version of Screen, if you're familiar with Screen. Mm-hmm. Um, Screen is a, it's a beautiful program, but it's kind of old and a little bit neglected. Um, and then eventually, tmux came along to, to sort of um, uh, be a better implementation of, of Screen. So on top of both of those, I've I created this project called Biobu, which ships a set of configuration, opinionated configuration defaults and key bindings that turns either old school screen or the much newer tmux into a really rich command line um, uh, windowing environment essentially it's all command line but it has the uh, a number of advantages you can run commands and then detach and come back later which is really important when you're when you're doing some some work in the cloud and maybe you're on a lossy connection your connection drops but you want to make sure your long running command continues or or maybe you're going to Kick off this job and then drive home and come back and check on it. Check on it later. Um, so that's all very natively baked in, as well as the ability to uh, split the screen, horizontal, vertical splits, chop it up, uh, run multiple windows, um, sharing the sessions. That's actually really useful. We use it for pair programming uh, across the world. I mentioned Canonical is very widely distributed around the world. It's it's a very common mean for us to 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 share a screen. So we'll have a We'll have an instance running somewhere in, in, in Amazon or uh, Azure or OpenStack. And then we'll run uh, SSH import ID and we'll give someone's GitHub or Launchpad user ID. We'll pull down their SSH key and then that person can can SSH into that system. And then with Biobu, we're both looking at the exact same terminal. We're both typing and we can see what one another are doing. And it's mm-hmm. a great sharing a screen uh, with, at much higher resolution than, say, a a... a Um, like a a Skype or Google Hangout screen share, you're literally in the same session.
2: That's awesome. Well, we'll definitely leak up Biobu in the show notes. That's something that I'm sure our listeners are quite interested in. I'm a fan of screen slash Tmux myself. Old school screen user. Recently switched to Tmux because of some problem I had with screen and a pretty pedestrian user of both, but uh, nonetheless, uh, awesome tools. And anything you can do to like put those on steroids, Uh, is much welcome. So check out Biobu if you're out there listening. It's in the show notes. Let's get back to Windows a little bit here. So Microsoft teed this up, and it sounds like they had done a lot of the heavy lifting for you guys before they reached out for the collaboration. From the time that you got that call in the airport to the point where we had an announcement at the end of March, give us a time frame and the amount of work you all had to put in to get this up and running.
0: Right. So Microsoft absolutely has... Uh, done all of the the lifting on the windows subsystem for linux that's all um you know proprietary code baked into the windows windows ten um it's uh it's it's low level windows kernel stuff canonical could not have offered uh any any expertise there for sure um I certainly would not want to diminish the role that canonical and Ubuntu have played in building the distribution uh that that root file system that we publish and we make available. And then, essentially, the the it's it's a really interesting meeting of two worlds. There's this world of Windows desktop users that may know a little bit about Ubuntu, Um, and then there's this world of Ubuntu developers that may know a little bit about Windows. Um, But now being able to use the two within the same environment, I think is sort of a I don't know a dawn of a new era almost. You know where where you're you're really are crossing the boundaries of uh, a traditional desktop and the world of open source software. Um, so in terms of timeframe, you saw the announcement March 31st at, at, at Windows uh, at Microsoft Build was when it was announced. Um, we worked on it. I worked around the clock for a couple of months from basically January, February, March were uh, intensely dedicated to that. Uh, we had a... a, a a, a small Tiger team at Canonical working on it uh, who were closely tied into the the team at Microsoft. Uh, we worked very closely. I flew up to Redmond a couple of times um, and uh, you know, it's been a fantastic collaboration. We've, we've really enjoyed working with that team.
1: I'm curious the, the future of, of Windows in this case, because in the back channel, I'm sitting here thinking to Jared, Asking questions like, you know, will this ease the common pain of setting up dev stuff on on Windows? Like, you know, when you set up Rails or anything like that um, on Windows, there's always some sort of glitch, always some sort of problem. And since Microsoft came to you all as the motivated party, had done the research, had done all this extra work to kind of even tee it up and then chose you as the the Linux distro to do it all. There's got to be some future plan there and maybe even some reduced pain in terms of dev environments and people who want to use windows but still be developers as you mentioned those in coffee shops using Macs or some sort of flavor of of linux to to work on might might be the case but uh let's break real quick we'll come back we'll start talking about the future and maybe even some loss of pain for those developers out there on windows so we'll break now right back our friends at BlinkSale are sponsors of today's show, the second commercial Rails app to our knowledge. BlinkSale is the easiest way to invoice online. You can sign up online or in the app, you get a free 15 day trial with no credit card needed. They do invoicing really, really well, give you estimates, thank you templates, recurring invoicing, integration with Stripe for fast payment, no tier plans, one price for unlimited amounts of everything they offer. Head to blinksellcom change law to get started and a special discount just for our listeners. Email Email patrick at blinksail.com to get a 20% off lifetime discount. This is for our listeners only. Our members get an even deeper discount, 40%. So if you're a member, head to changelaw.com slash benefits to claim your 40% off. Once again, head to blinksail.com slash changelaw to learn more and get started. All right, we're back from the break. Got Dustin here and talking deeply about this motivated party called Microsoft who needed wanted desired built technology to put bash slash ubuntu on on windows and it just seems like they came to you so motivated and i'm just curious um what your thoughts are on like why they had this desire so much like obviously they did, they did the research and if uh, if there's a developer doing something on a windows computer or any of the computer they're going to be doing something in a vm or some sort of linux distro to do their development but how's this Play out to the future of Windows. What do you think, Dustin?
0: Yeah. So the the motivation I think is pretty obvious, particularly when and where Microsoft announced this at their Build conference, right. a developer focused conference. Um, the motivation is to is to ensure, from Microsoft's perspective, to ensure that developers uh, choose Windows, use use Windows um, as a as a desktop platform, um, making uh, the bash command immediately available and bringing into the bash command, the, the Ubuntu user space, all of the Ubuntu tools and libraries is was sort of the missing piece, you know, just having bash alone, uh, you know, you could have a busy box or something, but, a, but busy box, which is just basically bash uh, statically compiled, um, isn't enough for a developer to, 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 to use it. Um, having that entire Ubuntu user space app install, you mentioned Ruby, um, and then Ruby libraries, then then from that gem install, whichever uh, libraries certainly brings a very native uh, development experience to a Windows desktop where, you know, writing code in, in Visual Studio is fine and dandy, but you, you know, a typical Windows developer would then need to git commit that and then push that and then launch a VM or an instance in the cloud to actually to actually test it. So one of my colleagues at Microsoft who's been super vocal about this, um, sort of a, a, I guess call him a peer product manager at Microsoft, is a guy named Scott Hanselman, extremely active, uh, a great blog, um, and uh, very active uh, uh, on Twitter. Um, Scott has been quite vocal about how he's using uh, this, this Ubuntu on Windows, to do uh, Ruby development, Rails development, Mongo, um, all on natively on his Windows desktop. Um, across the board, I've met a number of people who in some cases are, are uh, relieved, thankful, appreciative of, of this work in that in many cases, they've got a, a, company, a company mandated desktop, which is a, a Windows desktop. Uh, and they're, they're, they're so pleased with the ability to have that world of Ubuntu and open source a natively available in, in a in a command prompt um, at their fingertips
2: that resonates with me i think once i found the linux shell and was exposed to that in college there was just no way i could go back to command.exe on its own even with powershell and these other tools It just wasn't the same it, it just didn't feel right and so that has kept me away from windows honestly as a developer for a long mm-hmm. time How about the, the, let's talk about like the practical use of this. Now it's still in beta and all that. And I'm sure there are things that are being worked on and bugs to, to iron out and system calls that aren't quite bridged yet or whatever the term we use for that layer is. But what about practical things where the two operating systems or the two environments meet kind of where the, you might find an uncanny Valley at times thinking of like system paths, file naming conventions. Um, Well, first, with this, is the is the shell isolated inside your environment, or is it exposed to the Microsoft or to excuse me to the Windows file system?
0: Uh, It goes both directions. Actually, the Microsoft team did a really nice, tasteful job of this in the window in the in the Linux shell itself. If you cd to slash mount slash c slash windows or sorry, just slash mount slash c, you can see your entire uh, you can see your entire Windows file system. You can see all the files. Uh, and directories, you can you can vi uh, a file, you you know, you can edit a file, you can touch create, you can remove files, you can do anything that you would be able to do natively as the user who's logged into the Windows shell. Um, And in fact, that goes both directions, you can also open the Windows Explorer. And uh, I've I've forgotten the exact path, but you can navigate to the entire Ubuntu shell and do the same thing, you could open up uh, a C file in Visual Studio, for instance, or or create a directory, um, they're, they're, it's actually the same file system uh, in both directions.
2: Very cool. Now, see, so you, you admitted in your announcement blog post that even this announcement is odd for you, or not, not the announcement's odd, but the, the, the using of it's odd because you hadn't used Windows in nearly 16 years, um, which is kind of funny. But for people who have like Scott Hanselman and these other people who started to like use it for Ruby development or for whatever it happens to be that they normally be using, uh, either a virtual machine from a Mac or using, you know, a cloud machine or even just a Linux desktop. Have they, have they seen the, the uncanny valleys or is, is it really, is the grass really greener when you, when you bring the two together?
0: I think it's clearly greener. Find, grep, xargs, sed, um, awk, all of that right there. Uh, it's not, it's not, um, Sigwin, it's not a virtual machine. It's it's yeah. operating directly on the file system. Um, I'll I'll sort of recount the anecdote I shared in my blog, in that it's so poignant and, and it's so literal and true. Um, to actually build, so so we take the Ubuntu image, that that root tarball, that Ubuntu um, tarball, um, and then we have to repack it into an AppX file, which is basically just a zip file wrapped around um, some metadata. Um, so to and to upload that to the Windows Store, I needed to use Visual Studio, and and I I am not lying when I say I haven't used Windows as, as a desktop since since Windows 2000, since the year 2000. Um, and so I I installed Windows, and that was an interesting experience. Uh, and then to to build that appx, I had to do a bunch of work in Visual Studio, and you know it's Visual Studio has a tremendous reputation. It's this huge environment and I think once you're comfortable with it, you can probably do some incredible things at a very large scale. Well, guess what? I really didn't need to do anything at a large scale. I needed to make a couple of copies of a couple of files, some metadata. Um, I needed to replace all instances of a sample app with um, uh, Ubuntu, essentially. And I sort of fought and struggled clicking my way around Visual Studio. Until at some point, I just decided, hey, you know what? I, let, me, let me actually just try this. And so I dropped to the bash shell. I CD'd into mount C, uh, users and settings, Dustin Kirkland, uh, my source directory. I found the directory that I was, I was working in. I uh, renamed the directory using the, the move command. Um, I did a deep find, find dot in that directory, uh, pipe grep for sample app. Uh, okay, found all the files I needed to edit. Uh, piped that through xargs and renamed all of those files uh, in you know a fraction of a second. And then I needed to to do a deep grep through the through the data in that directory for all instances of the words um, sample app or whatever it was, uh, and then do a sed replace. So another uh, grep, another pipe to xargs, another sed, and I replaced. All of those instances of sample x, and then I flipped over Alt Tab back over to Visual Studio, reloaded, and hit compile, and it it just worked. And it was really neat to do what I was really comfortable with, you know, find awk grep sed, um, xargs, uh, and then you know for for various reasons I needed to be in Visual Studio and and Windows, and those two really worked seamlessly. I didn't have to FTP some files around or Git push or or, or SCP or copy. Um, oh, speaking of SCP, the other thing that was neat was when I needed to SSH from that Windows machine to another Ubuntu machine, um, and I can natively run on that Windows system directly to the, the local file system, rsync, SCP, SSH, without mm-hmm. setting up a putty or, a, or, or, or some you know, other third party, going and fetching another third party tool
2: it does sound like pretty green grass that sounds pretty yeah. good <laughs> i mean i think that this could be a huge boon for open source projects especially when the burden of maintenance between multiple operating systems is such a
1: yeah
2: a problem um for many developers who even would love to support windows users they don't even have environments that they can test against windows in order to provide support and so it's often a, a pain point or people when they're calling for help it's like please if you have windows or if you're on windows and you use this you know provide help give us good bug reports or even help us fix these things do you think it's feasible that once this comes out and is out there in the wild readily available for developers that it would be um socially okay to say you know our windows support is via you know bash on windows or via ubuntu on windows and we don't have any first-party support for the operating system
0: wow that's 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 a leap um (laughs) <laughs> Possibly. Uh, I should. I should also caveat this with the fact that Microsoft has said that this is Windows Desktop only, Windows Ten Desktop only. Um, so they they've not announced any plans to bring this to Windows the server. So running a, a, a Rails web application or, or some sort of server application, uh, at, at least at this time, is not is not natively supported. And there's there's no commitment from Microsoft that that's even coming. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, so let's relegate your question to desktops. Sure. Um, possibly. I, you know, I, I, I'll I, tell you this. The next time someone asks me to help fix their Windows machine, uh, traditionally, I just, you know, plead... plead uh, Don't plead use do it. This. Yeah, exactly. Um, the next time someone asks me to fix their Windows machine, I'm actually going to... I'll actually fire up a, a, a bash shell and see if I can poke around and, and figure out what's, what's wrong, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there are limits to what how much of the Windows hardware can be seen from Linux. So, for instance, um, direct access to some of the, the, the storage drivers or the, the video drivers and stuff is, is still going through a, a Windows layer. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think there is an opportunity to, to certainly make, I don't know, scanning the file system, backing up data, uh, just some of the tasks that are, are strictly file-driven uh, that we're really good at at doing things against file descriptors in Linux, I think some of those tools may make it over to Windows in a, in a hurry. I think it's a huge opportunity. I
1: don't know if this is on your radar, Dustin, or not, but I imagine it probably is. But I think about um, what kind of developer typically is running Windows. And if you look at the landscape of available consumer, you know, desktop, l- laptop machines out there, you've got, various flavors of Windows, right? You've got various flavors of Linux, and then you have Macs out there. Um, but typically, Macintoshes are more expensive, and universally, Windows tend to be you know, lesser expensive machines. And so by doing this, it seems to me like you've... We always talk about the accessibility to, to software, to being a developer, to learning to code on this show and we've talked about that the last several shows, with Sarah Chips with Jewelbots and things like that, bringing access at a younger age. It seems to me like I could buy my daughter a Windows machine that runs Windows 10 pretty inexpensively, and she has access to everything I would want her to have access to to be a developer, right? With this, with this new access to Bash and the Shell and Linux and Ubuntu. Like, that's, that's awesome. It's, it's now become a much more lower barrier with still great tools.
0: I, I think it's amazing how many more people open source software will touch through this, uh, mm-hmm. through this development. I think that's the most amazing part about it. Um, you know, the, the internet is, is full of all sorts of opinions, and I saw, I saw a handful of, you know, the sort of to-be-expected negative opinions of, you know, why would Canonical do this? The Microsoft's the enemy. Um, you know, don't don't we build good Linux desktops environments? Why would you do this? And to most of them that I I had the opportunity to reply to, uh, you know, I really tried to speak to their to their heart and say, guys, your love of open source. Just think about how many more people open source can touch. Yeah. How many more people will be exposed to GCC? Uh, you know, Perl, Ruby, um, Shell, just all. That the fact that that's now available on Windows desktops, or will soon be available on any Windows 10 desktop, we've made the entire open source world of software, and and and, and you know to their extent, our our mission, our somewhat religious mission, that open source is just a a, a better way of doing things. I still I still believe that, and at my heart, um, I, I dual boot my laptop now to demo Bash on Windows, but I still run Ubuntu as my primary desktop and I still develop open source software because I love it. I'm just thrilled that over the next five, 10 years that all of this open source software that I've written over the last 20 years uh, will be available to even more people than ever before.
2: I love all. I love the sound of all that, uh, by the way. Uh, Quick question on limitations. And before we get to some of our our closing questions, um, you mentioned, you know, there's some certain system calls that aren't quite there yet. Obviously, Microsoft is not too interested in you know Windows or you know X or window managers or you know graphical applications for coming from Ubuntu over over. Um, you also mentioned that it's desktop only, so you know server deployed things, which I don't I'm not sure why you want to do that anyways because you could just deploy it to a Linux server. Um, <laughs> right. But I guess if you have existing infrastructure that is based on sure you know, that's yeah. Windows licensing or something. Um, what are some other limitations? That either are going to disappear or they're just kind of going to always be there uh, in this environment that you know of.
0: Yeah. So let me cl- let me clarify a couple of the the, the first ones first. Sure. So yeah, I think we both we both Canonical and Microsoft and you know it sounds like yourself as a potential user all understand that bringing this to Windows Server doesn't make as much sense. If you're in a Windows Server, you're probably a PowerShell user anyway, mm-hmm. which PowerShell is is great and amazing uh, work uh, as well. Um, you're, and if you're really going to run a server workload, by all means, please run it in, in Linux and ideally, you know, from Microsoft's perspective, that's a Linux running in Azure, you know, that's a Linux running in a Hyper V. So all of it, we all kind of looked at that and went, yeah, that's, if you're doing it that way, you're kind of doing it wrong. So let's not focus a whole lot of effort onto like, you know, bash on Windows servers, right? So that. That's sort of the color behind that, that first one. The second one uh, you mentioned, or the other one you mentioned, was about X applications, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, what we call in, in, in Linux X applications or graphical applications. Believe it or not, a super motivated, uh, and this is just the beauty of open source, kids will be kids, I guess. Um, there's actually X Windows applications now running on uh, Ubuntu on Windows, believe it or really? not. Yep, I have myself launched. Firefox, now Firefox is a silly example because you can run Firefox natively on Windows, <laughs> yeah. but I actually run the Firefox binary from the Ubuntu archive, export it uh, on the same system over a local, uh, you know, dis- uh, export display equals localhost host uh, to, the, to, the, to, to the local machine, as well as a couple of other minor um, X applications. Uh, that's using an open source project called Xming server it's basically an x server for windows so you go out to the xming server website or github you pull down the .exe binary install the x server on windows and then run that and then you can apt install some some x applications um, some things still don't work and most of them come back to basically those same system calls we know aren't currently working um, dbus right now is is sort of the, the message bus low level message bus, it's got some some problems. So for instance, I wanted to run gnome terminal, because I hate the Windows command.exe terminal. Uh, So I wanted to run gnome terminal or or terminator or any one of the x terms from from Ubuntu. And all of those kind of depend on that, that 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 D bus, which um, is uh, is related to the other things that that's still not yet working. But uh, the team at Microsoft working on this, they're fully they're well staffed It's smart guys this wasn't a uh, sort of a proof of concept that gets announced and then abandoned. Um, I've got every bit of confidence that, that this is it's, it's getting better and better um, over time.
2: So we've all had the bash on windows or Ubuntu on windows announcement. The next question is when are we going to hear about the windows on Ubuntu announcement? <laughs> uh,
0: so that's, so that's kind of, you know, some people describe this work as uh, the reverse of Wine, if you're familiar, familiar with Wine, Win, Absolutely. Uh, Windows Emulator, it's kind of how you, you sort of run some Windows applications on Ubuntu. I know that it's Wine has saved my bucket on a couple of, um, I don't know, update the firmware or update the, my, uh, I updated my firmware on my Plantronics headset using Wine uh, not too long ago. Um, but yeah, this is sort of the reverse of Wine. Um, so I, I'd, I'd argue that, uh, without this wasn't, one's uh, obviously not Microsoft driven, but, uh, windows emulation on Linux has been around and, um, while not fantastic it's certainly functional right. for many cases.
2: Right. Uh, but it's always been emulation. Whereas this seems like it's a little bit more native
0: system call. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. Um, uh, yeah. So we're not, we're not working on that right now. <laughs> yeah, I know it was a joke. <laughs> okay <laughs> it was it
1: was a joke, but I was like, he's taking it seriously <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry uh, that's good
1: though you're right. you're on point that's that's we want. we want that um this is a serious closing question though so don't take this one as a joke, but you know there's a lot of listeners tuning in uh you know the numbers uh users of Ubuntu, lovers of Ubuntu um and I'm kind of curious for those out there who care about this mission, this mission of uh, not so much just you know using Ubuntu where it's at but you know, enabling Ubuntu on Windows even better. What, what things out there, what ways can people or the open source community step in and, and help push this mission along with you? How can they step in?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a ton of ways to contribute to Ubuntu. Um, I got, I got started as a contributor to Ubuntu before I became an employee of, of Canonical. I just sort of my background in open source. There's, there's a, a way of doing open source and that's, it's great whether you're you know, young or old or anywhere in between open source communities. Are, it's a brilliant way to, to learn and get better and contribute to, uh, to, to society, to the, to the technical world. Um, it can start as easy as reporting bugs. Um, it's something that myself as a developer, I spend hours every day reading, reading bugs, replying to bugs, reporting a bug, a good high quality bug with how to reproduce this, these instructions, not just a... This pissed me off and and I hate you, but Mm. like, hey, here are my logs. Here's what happened. Here's how to reproduce it. I've tried it on two computers. That's incredibly, that's a huge contribution to open source and requires uh, no programming skills necessarily. Um, Contributing to the mailing lists, uh, we have a Stack Exchange channel. It's actually the the third most popular channel on all of Stack Exchange. It's called askubuntu.com. Uh, you can get involved asking questions or providing responses and voting up or down responses. That's a great way to get involved that, again, requires a little bit of uh, technical interest, but not necessarily technical expertise. We'd love to see more questions and answers around uh, Ubuntu and Windows at AskUbuntu, of course. Um, and then from the developer perspective, man, the possibilities are endless from, uh, from co- contributing to source code on GitHub or Launchpad, you should absolutely have uh, accounts on both GitHub and Launchpad. Um, tra- follow the projects you're interested in, branch or, or, or fork the projects that you're interested in and, and provide uh, patches or, or contributions, or even just using it and provide feedback is in- incredibly valuable. Um, it's a, and you know especially for your younger listeners, it's a great way of building out a resume long before you even know uh, even long before you've actually even created the resume. I, I I've hired dozens of people who have barely have a resume, but they have a GitHub profile and a LinkedIn profile that show me what they've worked on. Um, it comes across, your code comes across as uh, more important to me than 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 you know a 10-page resume or a huge CV or, or something like that. Um it's it's really the way to get started. I've hired uh, interns, I've hired new hires straight out of college. I've hired high school kids um, that just, they, they, know, they, they know what they're doing and they've contributed to open source and their contributions are, are very public and, and visible, you know? Oh, and I'll, I'll end with one last thing. And I'll say that this is, you asked about, you know, some of the reasons why Ubuntu has, has been successful. I'll tell you one that's at our core. And it's one that doesn't get, um, doesn't get noticed. And in fact, that's kind of a good thing. But at the core of Ubuntu, we have this thing called the code of conduct. Uh, the Ubuntu code of conduct, all Ubuntu developers are required to sign it, and it really governs the way that we behave with one another, you know? And so, um, while there are arguments, we we tend to focus on technical fights as opposed to personal fights, right? You can attack the code, but never attack the person. Um, And that's so important, and it's it's really part of the friendliness of the Ubuntu uh, ecosystem. Um, so I would say that whether you're working in Ubuntu or the Linux kernel or anywhere, you know, treat treat one another well. Treat one another like like humans, because because all of that code that I said just said was public and becomes part of the public record. Your actions on those mailing lists are absolutely part of yeah. the public record as well. So you know, treat one another well. It's it's important.
1: Well, on the note of of open source, we we commonly ask this question, and you might have gotten it in the email. And we teed up the call and prepped you for everything. But uh, we like to ask, especially someone like you, who comes from a company who leans on and supports and cares so much for open source, I got to imagine that you've got an interesting radar, meaning if you had a free weekend, what's something that you haven't played with, or you'd love to play with that? If you had a free weekend, and you had nothing, to, nothing else to work on. This would be something that you would, uh, you would hack on. What would that be for you?
0: Uh, wow. So there I've, I've got a lot of nights and weekends projects i'm working on two right now um one is an alexa skill set so i recently bought an amazon echo you know uh alexa play uh play fish on uh on pandora and she's playing the fish radio station alexa read me the news alexa what's the weather i'm actually working on an alexa skill for uh man pages so um, i have some that i wrote a long time ago that actually Uh, parses all of the Ubuntu dev files every night and looks at any that have changed and if it finds one that's changed it cracks open that dev extracts any man pages and then publishes them renders them to HTML uh, formatted and linked and and everything and it publishes them at manpages.ubuntu.com well as you can imagine I've got a wealth of, of man pages there I'm actually working on an Alexa skill that says uh, you would say Alexa, man, SSH, and then Alexa would come back and read you the first line of the SSH man page and say, "Hey, would you would you like to know more? Um, is that useful? I don't know, but um, it's useful for me to learn how to write an Alexa skill to to you know sort of get into that AI machine learning? Yes, that's what I'm I'm looking to learn. Hmm. The second thing, and it's closely related to that, because I have this nightly job that. Um, that cracks open every Deb published to the Ubuntu archive, it's very easy for me to extract other files from that from that Deb. So I have another side project that's also in that sort of machine learning space. And I say it's, it's pertinent to you guys, because every package in the Ubuntu repository has a file called Debian changelog, which is the history of that Debian package. And some of those packages go back to the to the early 90s. In fact, you know, some are more recent than that, but they follow a very consistent parsable format. Um, And so I've got uh, part of that sort of nightly script that I've written um, also indexes the the change logs. And right now I'm rendering that to a basically a huge blob of of JSON that I can then import into MongoDB or Postgres. Uh, And I guess the, the, the part of the project I need a night or a weekend to work on is actually actually developing some intelligence, deriving some intel from the, the change logs. Um, who's changing what? How often is it changing? What things are have been abandoned, obviously haven't been touched in a long, long time? Um, those are sort of the interesting questions I'd like to ask that, uh, that, that, that SQL or NoSQL database. Make sense?
1: Makes sense. I think it's interesting. The Alexa piece, the, the skill learning, I don't know if I would use it, but uh, I could see if anybody out there. I, I guess it could be used. I would, I would. I would talk to Alexa about man pages. That'd be cool. <laughs> what about you, Jared? Would I just, you care I just about that? Tell
2: Alexa to RTFM. I mean, that's worth it right there, right?
0: That's <laughs> uh, funny you say that. If uh, as you as you close the Alexa skill, she thanks you for reading the friendly manuals.
2: <laughs> nice. I don't know, Adam. I think uh, I think we have a kindred spirit here with regard to change logs. I feel like that data dump could be very interesting for us.
0: Yeah. It is one very large data dump of literally change logs.
1: Well, that's, uh, we're eight minutes past the show time for this, uh, for this show. Anything else you want to say in closing, Dustin? I
0: did want to, I did want to touch on, you know, the, the business side of Canonical. I'd love to, to share the, you know, our experience about, you know, what Canonical is as a, as a company, um, you know, and tee that up with a with a you know our listeners or some of them building businesses or interested in building a business around open source. How does Canonical do it? Um, that's one that I you know I I'd, I'd, I'd like to have two or three minutes to 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 talk about.
1: Let's do it. I mean that's we're we're always curious about that. Um, you know I mentioned in a break earlier we were going to pull into the show we just didn't find time to because we were kind of talking about necessary things. But I'm curious with a, a staff like. Is it an actual staff of 750 people all across the world? Are they all paid employees? And I'm really curious how you sustain and make money.
0: 756 employees across 47 countries. Paid hmm. employees, yep. And then a much bigger open source community of right. friends and foes that write open source software that filters into a bunch
1: friends and foes. So what's the story behind, I guess, the company side of things? How do you make money?
0: So that's a good question, and I mean it's extremely important to the long-term sustainability of Ubuntu. The success of Canonical is uh, is very importantly tied to Ubuntu continuing to be available to everyone in the world. Um, Canonical itself has a couple of businesses, a couple of parts to the business. Um, First of all, the company is really split into two halves. The one half works on one half works on. Laptops, desktops, phones and devices, now sort of IOT connected devices. The other half of Canonical works on uh, servers and clouds, virtual machines and and containers. Um, but the two work you know, we share a lot of technology. Our businesses are um, are 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 a little bit um, a little bit different. So you know at its core, Canonical is a services company. We offer suites of services that surround Ubuntu right? We don't charge for Ubuntu. The bits that make up Ubuntu on your on your laptop or desktop or in the cloud are, are always free to you, right? You've never paid for Ubuntu itself. Uh, but there are many, many enterprises and organizations, some individuals that choose to buy auxiliary services from Canonical. And those services, uh, at its very core, often start with support services. So we do have uh, commercial support um, where we try to help ensure um, large institutions typically that have built a business around uh, Ubuntu. They, they heavily depend on Ubuntu. We can try to help ensure their uptime, the security of their, their packages. They have a, a phone number to call. They have uh, an interface to connect with our support engineers who can then help troubleshoot or debug um, uh, maybe a kernel performance regression or a, um, a, a, a security issue or something like that. That's our support services. Um, and then we we also provide consulting services. So um, some of the biggest telephone companies in the world, AT and T, Deutsche Telecom, um, are building uh, are building their data center infrastructure services around Ubuntu OpenStack. Uh, and we engage with them at a very large scale to provide uh, to provide um, consulting services where we help design and implement that cloud. Um, and then we have a large number of customers where we provide canonical provides what we call level three support so that customer might take uh the first and second phone calls from the customer um ibm is a good example um so ibm has its own uh customers a lot in let's say the 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 financial industry wall street or something like that where they're using ubuntu they call ibm for the first level and the second level of support but when that when that IBM engineer needs some help from a Canonical engineer, IBM can then pick up the red phone, call Canonical, uh, and 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 receive um, you know first rate Ubuntu support from a an Ubuntu expert. So those are those are sort of the uh, the support services. Um, and then we also do let's call it OEM work um, or work with OEM, uh, which was originally hardware manufacturers, ensuring that Ubuntu you know as it ships on. Dell PCs and HP uh, servers and IBM servers and and lots of others. Uh, now network switches as Ubuntu ships on those devices, we help that engineering team build the image of Ubuntu that runs on that switch on that server. Um, but we've also seen that same model work with some of the major uh, work very well with the major public clouds, where uh, uh, where Canonical curates, uh, secures, provides tests, QAs the images in those clouds. Um, So all of those are commercial engagements that, that canonical uh, that helps sustain canonical helps pay the salaries of the 700 of us, 756 of us working um, all around the world.
1: That's amazing. I mean, I think it's interesting to think about Mark too, and his, his past to, to get, uh, you know, the, I, I guess the gumption to even think about canonical and, how that can benefit Linux and ultimately benefit open source. Certainly a longer topic for a another show, which uh, I might call on you for, who knows? We're, we're, we're reviving and uh, relaunching Founders Talk, which is a show I did that uh, kind of peeks into the, the life of a, an entrepreneur, a founder, to look at what they did, why they did it, the fails, the, the, the successes, and all those things. And it would be interesting to talk to Mark about the, the deeper details if he'd be game for sure.
0: Mark would regale you with stories from the International Space Station to uh, his trip to Antarctica. After, yeah. after you go to space, where do you go next? He took a three-month trip to Antarctica where he printed out a 1,000 pages of Debian um, mailing lists. And he, he went through the mailing lists with a, with a pen and a highlighter and circled a bunch of names, which were the first 20 people that he contacted and said, uh, hey, I'm uh, I'm an African billionaire, and I uh, I want to start a company. Come come help me make uh, come help me make a bun too. Wow, um, I love y'all. this guy
1: already. Yeah, I wanna I wanna have that conversation. It makes me want to start Finer's Talk again right away. Soon though, very very soon. We have a lot of things happening here at the Change Law to to make all that happen. So very soon, listeners, if you are a past listener of Finer's Talk, it's coming soon, and that conversation will mark it probably. It will happen very soon. So, but uh, we are out of time for this show, Dustin. It was uh, an absolute pleasure to, to deep dive into this Linux, Ubuntu, Windows history and and future and the the new abilities and access to so many developers out there to everything from Linux to open source that's available now. So, thank you for all the hard work you do, and and uh, and to the listeners, we thank you as well for tuning into this show. Uh, but that's it for this week, fellas. So let's say goodbye.
2: Goodbye. Thanks, Dustin.
0: Thanks, gents.